time and they'd come to know him intimately and I can only imagine, there's some things I don't have to speculate. If Peter was struggling with, you know, do I really have to pay temple taxes? He could go to Jesus and Jesus would kind of walk him through it. And or Peter would say, do I really have to forgive? I mean, how much do I have to forgive someone? And Jesus would kind of walk him through it. And, and you know, imagine if whatever challenge or difficulty, it's always great to have like an ear that you can, uh, a shoulder you can cry on, you know, an ear you could speak to that, that's ready to hear and listen. Imagine if Jesus was physically there, right? And you could just go and say, Jesus, I don't know what to do. I just got this crazy bill and it just seems like it doesn't change. And, you know, what are we going to do? Oh, man, you know, you should hear the day I had. And then this other guy said, you know, you're just kind of sharing your whole life with him. And, you know, in, in reality, we can now in a very special way because we can pray and we can talk to him and he hears us. But for them, it was going to be a transition or a change because physically he was there and he's telling them, I'm not going to physically be here much longer. The kind of relationship that you have with me is going to change. It's going to be better, but it's going to change. Because instead of you having to find out where Jesus is, you know, is he out praying up on a mountain? I can't find him. They're all looking for Jesus. That happened on more than one occasion. Um, they would be able to have the Spirit of God dwelling within them. They would be able to directly speak to the Father in the name of Jesus. They would be able to have this kind of communion and fellowship with Jesus that would be special. It would be different. But that's what Jesus is walking them through. And, and, and it's really important. I think it's essential for us in our lives. Um, and as we come to uh, chapter 15, one of the things that Peter, uh, that Jesus is showing uh, his disciples, he draws an analogy from uh, people who tend to vineyards and from, from a vine and from the branches. And it's very familiar territory for many of us. But um, Jesus is not... Uh, pulling this out of nowhere. All throughout the Old Testament, this is very Old Testament language. Uh, all throughout the Old Testament, the Lord would use the picture of a vine and a vineyard when speaking about Israel. Um, in uh, Isaiah, in the, book, in the Psalms, um, it, God uses this picture language of saying how the Lord took this vine out of Egypt and brought it and planted it in this good territory. But What's interesting is exclusively in the Old Testament, when the imagery of a vine is used of Israel, it's always kind of talking about how it didn't work out the way it was expected. Um, and I, I, I'm not a, a gardener. Are there any gardeners, people that like their hobby is gardening? That's awesome. You can hold your hand. You can be proud of it. Yeah, we've got a very special gardener back there. Um, I'm not a, a, a gardener. I have like a raised bed, but I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so I put something in there, and let's see what happens, you know? And um, I had Italian parsley for a while and had chimichurri, which I was like, I'm eating free chimichurri. It's grown from the earth, you know. Um, and then it died recently, so um, I have to replant it. But I don't really know what I'm doing. But we did find uh, in a local grocery store, they had like a, a vine for grapes. And, uh, and, you know, we got it and we planted it. and We had it wrap around a, a stick and it grew and it has leaves. And there was a while when, you know, bugs were attacking it, so I had to, you know, dust something on it or figure out, I'm, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing, you know. And, and the bugs went away, and then they came back, and then they went away, and then they came back, and then we plagued by iguanas that keep trying to attack it. And so it's like this constant battle trying to get this thing to stay alive. Um, I'm not a vine dresser. But when Jesus drew this picture, and I'm, and I'm going to read this uh, short passage here, when he drew this picture of the vine, he knew what he was talking about. The vine was grown all over Palestine as it still is. 
It is a plant which needs a great deal of attention if the best fruit is to be got out of it. It is grown commonly on terraces, and the ground has to be perfectly clean. It's something trained on trellises. It sometimes was allowed to creep over the ground, upheld by low forked sticks. It sometimes even grows around the doors of the cottages. But wherever it grows, careful preparation of the soil is essential. It grows luxuriantly, and drastic pruning is necessary. So luxuriant is it that the slips are set in the ground at least 12 feet apart, for it will creep over the ground at speed. A young vine is not allowed to fruit for the first three years. Each year, it is cut drastically back to develop and conserve its life energy. When mature, it is pruned in December and January. It bears two kinds of branches, one that bears fruit and one that does not. And the branch that does not bear fruit is drastically pruned back so that they will drain away none of the plant's strength. The vine cannot produce the crop which it is capable of without drastic pruning. And Jesus knew that. And so we open here to chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. And it said, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And so stopping there, uh, Jesus is speaking to them uh, of this picture of a vine. And you can picture it in your mind. You've got the vine that's growing. In those days, it would be this big, thick vine. It would kind of grow along the ground. And uh, if you needed to, you could graft in other uh, branches into that vine. But the vine would grow there, and in some cases it would be uh, very, very old. You know, this some do dozens of years old, sometimes 100 years old, this same vine, because it produces good, good grapes. You don't want to, you, you prize and value good stock like that. And so Jesus says to them, I am the true vine. So in contrast to Israel, that all throughout the Old Testament is presented as a vine that never really yields forth what you expect it to. You know, he put it all out, he brought it to this place, he planted it in the land of Israel, he watered it, he tended to it, and it brought forth wild grapes. And then he pruned it and cut it back, and he dug a trench around it, and then it still brought forth wild grapes. Then it, then it was barren, and then the Lord said, I can't, this vine is not producing, it's not good stock. Jesus said, I am the true vine. And there's a reason why Jesus says, I am the true vine. That word is there in the Greek, and it's the word alethinos. It means true, real, or genuine. And the implication is that there are false vines. There are vines that present themselves as a source of life, as a source of fruitfulness, as a way for you to kind of flourish and bear forth fruit, but it's, it's false. It's not real. It's not true. And Jesus is the true vine. Jesus says, I'm the one that does bear forth fruit. This is good stock. You can trust in it. And I was thinking, anything that I turn to as a source of life or fulfillment or joy or purpose, that's a vine for me. If, if I'm turning to Jesus for life and fulfillment and joy and purpose, that's the vine that I'm connected to. But maybe I'm turning to something else. You know, maybe 
man, the more I invest at work, the more I get promoted and I'm getting, you know, promotions and, and bonuses and, you know, raises left and right. And, and so I'm super plugged in, you know, and I, that's the vine I'm connected to. And I'm willing to sacrifice other things because I see that this is bearing forth what looks like fruit. Or maybe, you know, even uh, we, can, we can invest in, in academics or intellectualism or our studies or we can invest in family. And some of these things aren't bad necessarily. Some of them might be good. But if that's what you're turning to for fulfillment, Jesus says, I am the true vine. If you want to bear forth fruit in your life, you, you have to re- remain connected to me. And, and I think of how often and how easy it is for us to graft ourselves into things that are not, um, that are not, that are not real. They're false. And you know, it's funny, if you take, uh, if you take some other plant, like, I don't, I'm, I'm, I, again, I'm not a gardener. There's someone here undercover. I won't say who they are unless they want, like, a side gig of being, like, a professional mango person or avocado person. But, I, you know, they know a lot about avocados, and they grow avocados and they graft them. And I think that's super cool. And they tried to explain it to me, but I don't fully understand it. Um, and they can tell that I don't understand it because they offered to come do it. Um, but I, and then I feel bad. I'm not going to you know, do that. Also, it has to be very cold where that happens. But he knows everything about avocados. But if you take a branch from one tree that bears forth fruit and you graft it into another tree that bears forth a different kind of fruit, do you know it changes the nature of the fruit that's born? You could, st- you could graft a branch into a different kind of tree or the wrong kind of tree or the wrong kind of vine. It's too different. And the, the, the branch will just wither and die. Or sometimes it'll stay green and flourishing, but it won't produce anything. But if you cross graft from one species to another, it changes the fruit. And sometimes I think when we're connected to the wrong vine, we're, our fruit's weird. It, it tastes off. Is that a cherry or a tomato? I don't know. Which one? You know, or, or you know, and, and so what are we grafting ourselves into? What are we turning to for hope or for life? It'll change the intrinsic nature of the fruit that we bear. And sometimes we can disconnect ourselves from, uh, from the vine. Sometimes we do it intentionally because we have a rebellious spirit. You know, to be connected to the vine means that you're submitted to it. You're dependent upon it. You can't stray too far from it. And sometimes if you have kind of a rebellious heart, you're saying, why am I going to be connected? I'm my own man, you know. I'll forge my own path. And you disconnect yourself from the vine. Or you connect yourself to strange and foreign vines. Because why do I have to connect myself to this vine? I know it says it's the true vine. But maybe this other vine looks pretty good. It's good enough. Why don't I just try every single vine until I personally have tested which one's right and which one's wrong. And, and so sometimes through a kind of a rebellious spirit, we disconnect ourselves from Jesus as the source of our life, as the source of our joy and our fulfillment. Sometimes we do it unintentionally, just through neglect or through compromise or through sin. We're just, you know, we've just drifted away from the Lord. And before you know it, we're not connected to the vine anymore. What's interesting is no matter what you connect yourself to, if it's not Jesus, you'll be powerless and you'll shrivel up eventually. And so if you find yourself in a state, man, I just, there's no power, there's no life, 
There's no fruitfulness. Maybe you're disconnected from the true source of life. The one thing that can take the potential of life that's in the ground and translate it through the branch into fruitfulness in my life. Maybe I'm just disconnected from Jesus. It's interesting because in verse 2 it says, every branch in me. You notice it says in me. He's going to talk about three different kinds of branches. There's a branch in him that bears forth a lot of fruit. And there's a branch in him that doesn't bear forth fruit. And there's a branch that's not in him at all. And so he says, now, every branch that's in him that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Or if you look up the word in the Greek, it means he lifts up or he cleans. And it's this picture of you've got this vine that, you know, maybe runs along the ground. And I, I don't, our, our vine is, I, 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 maybe I'm, I, I don't want to be insulting to our vine. I don't think it can hear me. But... It's like a baby vine. It just feels like it stayed a baby vine. But we've got these pumpkins that we planted, and it runs along the ground. And sometimes when there's these torrential downpours that happen in Miami, I'll go outside, and they're covered in dirt. All the leaves are covered in dirt. Like, it looks like they're almost buried. <laughs> and, and so sometimes, you know, if, if you have the time, if you have the patience, if you really, really love plants, if you desperately want to see them grow, Sometimes you'll go out there and maybe just take a little water bottle, rinse off that leaf, you know, clean it, dust it off, check for bugs, put it back, protect it with something. Because you care about that plant. Well, what's interesting here is that Jesus says if he sees a vine that's connected, but it's not bearing forth fruit, sometimes he'll pick it up and he'll start cleaning it off. Maybe it's fallen off that little fork thing that holds the vine up. He puts it back up on that fork thing that holds the vine up. And he makes sure that that vine has everything that it needs to grow. And, and then he says, every branch that bears forth fruit, well, I thought that's the goal, right? So every branch that bears forth fruit, he leaves alone. No. Every branch that bears forth fruit, he prunes that it can bear forth more fruit. The goal or the, objection, the objective of, of God the Father as the vine dresser is the maximum amount of fruit. He wants that branch to fulfill its potential. And in order for that branch to fulfill its potential, sometimes he comes along and he finds that we need extra care. We need to be washed with the water of the word. We need to be raised back up. We need to have access to the sunlight. We need to have the bugs and pests taken away. But sometimes he says, well, this branch is doing well, but it can do better. And the thing is, only God knows how well we, how well we can do. Only God looking at us says, man, he's doing good, but I think he could do even better. And how he deals with that is something that, you know, as I kind of empathize with this branch, I start feeling bad for the branch. I thought I did a good job. I thought I'm bearing forth fruit. I thought I'm glorifying God. I'm doing a good job. I'm one of the good branches, God. And yet somehow he takes out pruning shears and he starts snipping away. And he starts cutting and he starts pruning. And pruning hurts. Pruning is hard. But his purpose and his goal in doing that is not hurting 
the vine or the branch. His purpose is helping the branch to do more because it knows, God knows that the branch can do more than it's doing. And this isn't speaking about sin particularly because that's a given. Listen, if you, and he's going to say, you guys are the branches, right? If, if we're the branches and he's speaking to us about things that we need to do in our life, of course you should get rid of sin. That's a given. If there's something in your life, that's like a pest that's, that's eating away at the vine and the branch. If that's going on, you need to cut that off. You need to get rid of it. I'm not talking about sin because sin is obvious. But what's, what's interesting to me is the pruning happens not just in the area of bad things like sin, but also sometimes in the area of okay things, liberties that we have, where the Lord can kind of step in and say, you know, I know you like to play basketball, but maybe you should take a break. What do you mean? There's nothing wrong with basketball, you know? That's the example I heard in the teaching. So not, it's not that I hate basketball. I am bad at basketball, but I don't hate basketball. Everybody, there's some great basketball players in here. So, um, Or, you know, I, I'll use my, I like to woodwork. Maybe the Lord steps in and says, you know, the hobby is taking too much time. And it's not bearing forth fruit for my kingdom or glory. So then I have to pull back and say, well, Lord, I've invested a lot in that. Well, the Lord snip, he snips it, he cuts it. He, he, he starts growing. He starts cutting away things in my life that I'm like, oh, what do you mean he's cutting? Ouch, that hurt, you know? And he can approach different liberties in our life, you know, different hobbies, different things that we like or want to do that as he looks at us and he sees those liberties in our life, they're not necessarily wrong per se, but maybe there's no fruit in it, Right? The vine dresser looks at that and he says, I know you're passionate about it. I know you love it. I know you really want to. I, by the way, I don't think the Lord told me to stop woodworking, but you know, I'm using myself as an example. If he did, I would stop. Um, I know you're, you're passionate about it. I know you love it. I know you want it. I know you, but it's not bearing forth fruit and it's not going to bear forth fruit. So there's no reason for the, the energy, the power, the food, the resources to go dedicated into this branch that isn't going to bear forth fruit for my kingdom right now. So he says, let's cut that out. And let's cut this out. And, and then what he's doing is he's refocusing your energy. He's refocusing his resources that he's made available to you so that it goes so fully into what will most bear forth fruit that you'll fulfill your maximum potential. It's important for us to know that because if we don't know or see that, we're just going to be hurt. Ouch, ow, what do you mean I can't? Well, there's nothing wrong with it. If it's not wrong, I'm going to keep doing it. And then you start, and, and we're kind of like the, vine, like, the, like the vine plant, those branches, they reach out to anything they can. Did you notice that he says that they had to plant them 12 feet apart sometimes? Because they grow so aggressively that they'll just reach out and grab and, and, and go further and shoot out these tendrils and produce more wood, much of it is not going to bear forth fruit. It's not going to fulfill its purpose. And so the vine dresser knows what he's getting himself into when he says, I love tending vines, but I, I got to do a lot of pruning because we're like that branch. We're reaching out for this, and I love that, and I want this, and I'm going to get this over here, and this is where, oh, no, don't touch that. And we're reaching out so far that we're not producing our maximum fruitfulness for Christ and for his kingdom. So he pulls out the pruning shears. In love and grace, he comes up to the, to the vine, and he starts pruning and pruning 
and pruning. Sometimes good things. Sometimes entertainment choices. Sometimes relationships. Sometimes endeavors. Sometimes ministry. There's different things that the Lord kind of prunes at. Not because he's trying to hurt us again, but because he's trying to help us bear the maximum amount of fruit where the fruitfulness is being born. That's his desire. That's the reason why he has us around us to bear forth this idea of fruit. When we say that, what do do I mean by fruit? Um, There's three different things that the Lord refers to as fruit in the Bible. One of the, the things that God refers to as fruit is likeness to Jesus. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is, you want to know what Jesus is like? He's like this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's what Jesus looks like. And God wants you to bear forth that kind of fruit in your life. And so if he looks at your life and he starts pruning away certain things, maybe those certain things are not the things that are going to produce a likeness to Jesus in you. And he wants you to produce as much of Jesus' likeness in your life as you can. Another thing that he refers to as fruitful, uh, as fruit, is the reproduction of life. When uh, somebody reaches out, to, when uh, a Christian brings another person to Christ, that's called fruit in the Bible. And another thing that he calls fruit is ministering into the life of another Christian so that they grow and they are stronger and edified. So those are three things that the Bible refers to as fruit. That Those are three things that the Lord, the vine dresser, is looking for in our lives. He's looking for us to have this greater likeness to Christ. He's looking for us to uh, reproduce life in others and for us to edify the spiritual walk of other people. And when he looks at our life and he sees maybe things that we're reaching out towards or for that maybe are not really producing as much as they should, then he comes in and he starts pruning so that the things that are producing can produce more. And there are many times when the Lord opens up doors for us to go back to those things that he's pruned off at another time, at a time where it will be more fruitful, at a time where it will glorify Christ. But there are also some times when he says, this isn't, uh, this isn't fulfilling. Uh, this isn't fulfilling my purpose in and for your life. Sometimes those things that he prunes are faults in our personalities or impediments to our spiritual growth. He, we ought to cooperate with the vine dresser and allow him to prune them uh, from our life. He sometimes chooses unexpected and painful ways of accomplishing his goal. Like sometimes we see him coming with the pruning shears. Oh, oh, I get it. This is pruning. I heard it on Wednesday. Um, here's how I want you to do it. You got to get it from right here. Ow, what? That's not what I wanted you to, you know. He's not listening to you <laughs> when it comes to how he does the pruning work. He knows what he's doing, right? He knows more about how to prune our lives than we do. We also have no say on how long it will take for him to do this work of pruning. Sometimes it takes a minute, a second. Sometimes it takes years. And he's just, he continues pruning and pruning and pruning. What we can do is we can ask him, we can cooperate with him as the vine dresser and ask him to make sure that we are producing as much as we possibly can for him. And we can cooperate with him and not give up asking. So his goal, his purpose for our life is for us to produce a maximum amount of fruitfulness. He says, verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And it's worth, uh, it's worth thinking, you know, am I, um, the first question I should ask myself is, am I a Christian or a believer? But we'll ask that in a second. But 
am I a, what maybe Jesus would look, like, look at and say that you're a fruitless Christian? You made a claim for Christ, but if anybody were to look at your life, it looks just like you did before you made a claim for Christ. And if that's the case, then that's something that I should be honest with myself and with the Lord about. And I should come before him and say, Lord, what's going on in my life? Do you need to prune? Do you need to wash me clean with the water of your word? Lord, I want to bear forth more fruit for your kingdom and glory. We should all be bearing forth fruit for the Lord. And it's his job to tend to it. I don't say these things to condemn someone who has a little fruit. Praise the Lord, there's fruit there. I, have a, I also have a mango tree. Again, I have had no, I've done nothing to help any of these plants. But for two years, it bore nothing. And then I, I was thinking, and I told my, my wife, I'm like, I'm, if, if I want the mango tree, but if that avocado tree doesn't bear any avocados, I'm going to cut it down. And it gave me three avocados so far. So it's fighting for its life. <laughs> and, and so, but, you know, here you have this tree that maybe isn't bearing forth fruit for a while, but if it gave me one fruit, I'm like, all right, you get a pass for another year. Let's see if next year is better. You're, you're on your way in the right direction, you know, trying to be gracious and patient with it. I don't think it's grateful for, for the patience I'm showing it. But um, and he says to them, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. He's speaking to his disciples. They're, they're in the room. This is important for context. And this is a message for Christians. He's talking to them and saying, you guys are clean. Jesus was faithful to wash them with the word. He had been addressing and ministering to them. And then he says, verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. And then he says this, As the branch can't bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So this is important. Our life and our fruitfulness is correlated to the quality of our relationship with Jesus. Well, he's going to use this word abide over and over and over again. And the word abide just simply means to maintain a living communion with. It means to settle down and be at home with. You know, Jesus desires for us to remain with him. It means to stay. I remember maybe 15 years ago, I had a birthday and, it, you know, it was awesome. And there's a lot of people there. And, and then... You know, some, most of them left, and half of them, them all of them, there's one person that was left, and it was just, they were sitting there, and I was sitting there, and it was two in the morning, and I'm like, okay, so, well, I'm going to go to sleep, <laughs> you, know, you know, and sometimes, you know, maybe you've had an unwanted guest. You're never an unwanted guest in God's presence. He's never thinking, man, you've been here for a while, haven't you? Aren't you, like, don't you have a place to go right now? He's never thinking that. And, and, and in reality, he has, we've welcomed him into our heart. Are we feeling that he's the unwanted guest? It's like, well, I read my Bible yesterday, Jesus. Aren't you satisfied? I mean, like, I'm busy today. I got a lot of stuff on my mind. You want me to spend time with you right now? Oh, okay, you know. And that's not abiding with Jesus. But there's a very true warning, right, that he says, if you want to accomplish anything in your walk with God, if you want to bear forth any for sort of fruit, you need to abide. If you start disconnecting yourself from the vine, it's a self-destructive choice. You're going to wither. You're not going to bear forth anything. Life is found in relationship with Jesus. 
in these couple of verses here, he uses abide six, uh, seven times. One, six times it's uh, telling a truth, and one time it's an imperative. And this is the one time where it's an imperative. He says, abide in me. It's, it's a wonderful thing to think that he longs to spend time with us. Stay with me. Stay with me. Won't you stay with me just a little bit? Please. Where are you going? Stay with me. That's somebody who loves you. Stay with me just a little bit longer. We ought to retire regularly to his presence. We ought to remain with him. When was the last time that I sat with Jesus? And listen, I get it. We have super busy lives. Believe it or not, it's it's hard sometimes for me. I have to carve out time to spend with him. But when we finally get a couple of minutes rest, you know, all the kids are asleep or they haven't woken up yet. Are you, you happen to not be sleeping that night, you know? What are you, I don't know, why am I awake right now? Maybe spend a little time with Jesus. Maybe come into his presence and say, hey, I haven't been here for a while. You know, when you're driving, sometimes it's good to turn off the podcast and the music and God's Way Radio. Only time when it's okay to turn off God's Way Radio. And pray and spend time with the Lord and say, Lord, Man, it's been a while. How, you, how, how, how are things? You know, what's going on? What are you thinking about? Let me tell you, this day was crazy. What was that? Otherwise, the only interaction you're going to have with him is when things become crazy extreme and you're desperate and everything falls apart. Then you'll come back and be like, what was that? You know? And he'll, you realize, I mean, it's happened to me. You realize, man, I haven't talked to you in, in a week. I haven't sat down and talked to you like this in such a long time. And I'm only doing it because I'm desperate. And I have to stop and take time to say, man, I'm such a fool. Why, why, I, why am I not here all the time? And so, you know, we, ought, we, we need to abide in him. We need to remain with him in his presence. We can't fulfill the goal or the purpose of bearing much fruit or bearing any fruit unless we remain in him. Verse 5, he says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And he who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. And this is great. I don't have to, like, force it. I don't have to be like, why am I not bearing fruit? Fruit, come on. You know, I've never heard my mango tree, avocado tree, or vine in the backyard grunting, you know, in frustration. You just got to remain connected. You see, Jesus... uh, Picture him as a, as a vine dresser, and, and he, you're out in his vineyard, and he comes to show you his choice cluster of grapes. And, you know, you all gather around. Wow, that's amazing. What's your secret? Well, I'm going to show you what the secret is. Come in close. And he reaches over, and he, you know, holds the, the cluster of grapes, and he traces that little branch, and he goes to right where it connects to the vine. That's the secret. As long as it's connected, it'll bear forth fruit. As long as you keep that connection good, It'll be fine. So if you abide in me, then you're going to bear forth much fruit. And then he says, but without me, you can do nothing. There's a a certain holy fear to any opportunity I have to share. I'll, I'll tell you, there's different personality types. I don't get really nervous talking to people. And I also really enjoy telling stories. I could be up here trying to make you laugh for an hour and I'd have a blast. But that's not what God calls me here for. There's been times when I've had the opportunity to be here or be in a 
small Bible study, you know, and I've gone in there presumptuously, and I and, and then I start doing all right. We just like look at the Bible, and then the Lord's not in it, and it is agony. And I have to do so much heart check afterwards, just saying, oh, God. You know, what's terrible is it's like Samson that you don't realize it until <laughs> you're, the Philistines are overpowering you. And now you've got 45 minutes, you know, of, of like agony. And, I, and my, when I realize that, I know I, I start like battling in my, there's a, one conversation going on in my heart while my mouth is talking about the Bible. Thank God it hasn't happened a lot because I'm that terrified of it. But there's been times when I've had to go back and say, oh, God, Lord, what was that, Lord? I felt like it was like trudging through mud. When, when, where did I leave you? <laughs> what happened? And just, you know, I've, there's a couple, maybe like a handful of times I've gone off to a room by myself just to be like, I've, what is going on? Where are you? What happened after the teaching, you know? And so those memories make it every time that I'm going to do anything for the Lord, I'm thinking, God, please help me to not take this for granted. Are you here? You sure you're here? Just check. Am I connected? You know? Okay, okay, okay. God, am I connected? Okay, I'm connected. And, um, and, and then, you know, then I have to make sure I have faith and trust in the Lord. <laughs> in the Lord. But um, without Jesus, you can do nothing. And maybe you've experienced that. Maybe that's the frustration that you're going through right now. There's things you're trying to do without Jesus. Maybe you're trying to talk to your kids or raise your kids, but Jesus isn't a part of that. Maybe you're trying to talk to your spouse and love them, but Jesus isn't a part of how you're doing it. You're not connected to Jesus. You can't do it without Jesus. You need Jesus. He says, without me, you can't do anything. And then he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. So notice he goes from saying, you are branches, you're abiding in me. Now he says, if anyone's not abiding in me, he is cast out as a branch and he is withered and they gather them up and throw them into the fire and they are burned. This is someone who has no relationship with Jesus. And then sometimes you see people with no relationship with Jesus trying to do good things or trying to earn their, or maybe you're here and you've never surrendered your life to the Lord. And, and I know people, I've, I've prayed with people to accept Christ as your Savior because they said, I tried so hard. I, the only thing that's missing is Jesus. And I can't do it. I can't do it. It's agony. He says, yeah, it's agony. It's impossible. You're trying to do something impossible. Without him, you can do nothing. And if you're not connected to Christ, you're only going to wither. You need to be connected to the source of life. And so he says those who are not connected to Christ, who have no relationship with him, they're cast out as a branch and withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you shall ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so you will be my disciples. I, I really love these passages of Scripture for several reasons. Um, I love these passages of Scripture because I, I particularly like verses 9 through 17, because if, and, and I don't think we're going to go through verses 9 through 17, but maybe. We'll see what happens. But Jesus is so patient, and, and, and uh, some, there's different styles of teaching, and I see Jesus doing all of them in the Gospels, 
But for this portion, it, I mean, my, my wife has a gift of like, like, teach, like communicating with like preschoolers and little kids and stuff. And, and teaching to little kids is totally different than teaching to adults. It's kind of the same, but it's also, there's differences, right? And, uh, and so you see like, uh, I was going to use an example, but maybe some people don't like the example, so I'm not going to use it. But Jesus says to them, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you're going to bear forth much fruit. And this is how you abide. You keep my word and you walk in obedience to my commandments. And this is what my commandment is, that you love one another. And there's no greater love, this is what love is, that you lay down your life for one's friends. And this is what a friend is. You know, he's just like walking them down every element of this teaching. Every step of the way, he's saying, well, this is what, this is what I mean by abide. And this is how you do it. And this is how you do that. And this is how you do this. And this is how you do that. And it all boils down to relationship. It's, it's all boiling down to relationship. I think Jesus knows me too well. If there's a formula... I get excited about it. I can check off and tick off the boxes of a formula. Okay, I got to read my Bible, pray for 15 minutes, do this, do that, do the other, and then I got to you know, talk to one person about Christ, and then I'm going to do this. And then, all right, now I got a relationship. Bam. But I could do all that and not have a relationship with the Lord. Instead, he, he frames things in such a way that he says, if you want, if you want this to work, come here. We're going to live life together. Oh, Lord, I got to do a bunch of stuff. All right, well, I'd, I'd love to join you. Oh, Lord, I got to do a bunch of stuff. I don't know if you want to be a part of everything. No, no, no. I want to be a part of all of it. Let me, let's go, let's walk through life together. Okay, you know, and then you kind of have to like adjust to living that way. And, but as you, as you walk with him, as you develop, develop a relationship with him, as you learn how to do things the way that he does things, you start being conformed into his image. I think the picture that I think of for that is you look at the, uh, the, David's mighty men at the end of, uh, the, uh, I think it's First or Second Kings or Chronicles or one of them. But if you look at David's mighty men, these guys started off as being the destitute, the, the, the depressed, the in debt. You know, these guys were terrible. You know, these were the offscoring of, of, of Judah. But they hung out with David and they became like David. They just were conformed into the image of this guy. Isn't it the way if you hang out with people, you become like them? You know, you start picking up their mannerisms. You start talking like them. Sometimes you pick up an accent. It's like, you're not from England. What are you doing? You know, or it's, uh, whatever. But as we hang out with Jesus, as we spend time with Jesus, we get conformed into the image of Jesus. And the way that we do things is just like Jesus. And our desires are like Jesus. And so it's into this environment that he can then say to his disciples, verse 7, and if you abide in me then, and my words abide in you, then you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. And we like that verse, but we like to take it outside of the context of it. We like to say, well, and I can ask whatever I want. You know, I want a, I want a, a, a raise. I want a nicer car. I want a big house. And we start going off the checklist, but that's not what he's talking about. He's saying he's talking about such a, an intimate, personal, daily relationship with Christ that what comes out of you is the desires of Christ because the life that flows in you is the life of Christ. And, and so sometimes we have these misconceived desires. And the reason why we have these misconceived desires is because we're not connected to Jesus and we're selfish and we're prideful. And, and selfishness 
I, sh- I have the privilege of sharing with the men's ministry every first and third Tuesday of the month. And we were going through uh, Philippians chapter 2, and they talked about selfishness. And uh, so I went to my notes from that, and I'm sharing this portion here. It says, selfishness is always expressed at the expense of others. The reason why selfishness is so terrible and destructive is because it's always at the expense of others. This is the kind of person that just wants to get what they want. They want, they have to win. And they don't care who is a casualty because of it. And if it's left unchecked, heaps of human casualties will be piled up all around them and they will hardly even notice them or even care because they got what they wanted. And that's extreme selfishness, right? Or you have conceit. You have pride. And pride is terrible because pride is to see yourself above other people. And if you see yourself above other people, you're going to feel a constant need to be proving it. And since you're not above other people, you're trying to do something impossible. You're trying to prove something that's not true. And so you're going to be exhausted and frustrated and angry because you're trying to prove that you're better than other people and you're just not better than other people. In Galatians 6, it says, he who thinks he is something when he's nothing, he's just going to deceive himself. You're not deceiving anybody else. You're just deceiving yourself. And pride always produces conflict. Selfish ambition always comes with a humbling, but pride produces conflict. And because we have these things in our, in our nature, in, 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 our, in our fleshly, carnal nature, it interferes with our ability to pray properly. We've got these selfish, misconceived desires that interfere with our prayers. But if we're connected to Christ, if Christ is our priority, then we can come before the Lord. And the desires that he's that we find within us, you know, like it says in Psalm 37, 3 and 4, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. These desires that are in you will be transformed and conformed into the image of Christ, and it'll really be just his desires. You know, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you kind of get this sense of this is what the Lord would want. He would want that. You know, when God is doing something, it's exciting. Wow, man, this is a God thing. And then, and then when you're not filled with the Spirit, you just don't jive with it. There's a, there's a disconnect somewhere. It's important to be connected to Christ, to be connected to the vine. I thought of a great example from John chapter 12 of Jesus doing this. In John chapter 12, this is because Jesus was so connected to his Father... It affected what he prayed for. Isn't that awesome? And in John chapter 12, there were some Greeks that came to speak to him, and and Philip brought them to Andrew, and Philip and Andrew brought them to Jesus. And Jesus said, in John chapter 12, verse 23, Jesus answered them and said, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you that unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. So he's speaking of his own death, by the death of the death which he would die. I, it's time for me to die so that life can come from this. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, my father, him my father will honor. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. 
You can't outgive the Lord. The Lord is gracious. And then this is the verse and the example that I want to give. Now my soul is troubled. You think he's just saying that to say that? It's like, this is what I got to say. This is the next thing that's in the script. No, he's, he's talking to them. He's saying, guys, my soul is troubled. My soul is, is twisted up in knots. I'm hard-pressed between two difficulties. My soul right now is troubled. And what am I going to say? Father, save me from this hour? For this hour I have come, for this purpose I have come to this hour. Here's what I'm going to say. Father, glorify your name. Isn't that something? That's a perfect example of Jesus saying, I'm so connected to my Father that as soon as these Greeks came, I said, you know what? This is it. My time has come for crucifixion. It's time for me to die so that life can come through my sacrifice and my death and many can live and believe in it. And if you want to be my servant, you'll follow me. Don't love your life on this earth so much that you're unwilling to go through this process of dying to your flesh so that you'll live forever with me. Man, but I'm going to tell you, my soul's pretty troubled right now. But what am I going to say? God, don't let this happen. I came for this to happen. This is what I'm going to say. Lord, Father, glorify your name. And a voice comes from heaven and says, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it. That's a good prayer. When you pray so good, God answers from heaven and there's a voice. And the people around said, oh, that was just thunder. No, that was an angel. And Jesus said, that voice didn't come for me. That voice came for you so that you would know and believe. I know what I'm here to do. I am settled in what my mission and purpose is and who I am. I hope you hear the voice coming from heaven that came for your sakes. So, but I love that picture of Jesus just saying, you know, what am I going to say? God, spare me? Because a lot of times when we go through hardship or difficulty or pruning or suffering or affliction or depression or a loss of expectation or, or frustration or anger or rage, we have a lot of ways of dealing with it. But a lot of times our prayers look like, Lord, save me. My prayers look like that. I just want to get out. I want it to be over. Lord, is it over yet? Please just end it right now. But man, it takes quite a bit of connection to Jesus to say, Lord, are you doing something? What you doing? Lord, glorify yourself. Do the great thing that you're doing that must be so great that it's worth me going through this. Glorify your name. And then the Lord says, oh man, let's go do this. We're going to do this right now. This is going to be awesome. And God glorifies himself in and through Jesus. And God glorifies himself in and through us. I'd like to uh, read this devotional that I read recently. And we'll, we'll end here. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The invitation to ask whatever we will and the promise that it shall be done to us is clearly not an open-ended invitation just to ask for any and everything that might, you might desire. The invitation is limited to two conditions. First, if you abide in me, that is, remain in close and intimate fellowship and communion with the Lord. But secondly, if my words abide in you, both conditions have to be met. If in our private devotional time we enjoy intimate communion with the Lord, then we shall become increasingly aware of his love for us. And his love will certainly give us confidence to bring to him our requests. But what are we going to ask for? Here we shall need guidance. In order to ask aright, we must let his words abide in us, correcting our misconceived desires, opening up to us what God's purposes and objectives are for us and for others. 
so that we can shape our requests accordingly. But granted that, the wonderful thing is that we are invited to cooperate with the vine dresser in accomplishing his desires. After all, while we are metaphorically speaking vine branches, we are not literal passive pieces of vine wood. We are redeemed personalities. We abide in Christ and his words, abiding in us, begin to renew our minds. We shall in the first place become aware of faults in our personalities, hard knots in the vine branch, so to speak, that limit our fruitfulness, that impede our growth. And when that happens, we are invited to cooperate with the vine dresser and ask for these things to be removed so that the more fruit shall result for his glory. We are not allowed to dictate to him how he shall do it. We may well find he chooses unexpected and sometimes painful methods. We are not allowed to dictate how long he shall take over it. We are not to suppose that habits or complexes ingrained over many years will necessarily be removed instantaneously. But we may ask, and we may go on asking, in the God-given assurance that our asking is not in vain. He will do for us what we ask. And when the resultant fruit bears him the credit, we shall have the joy of knowing that we cooperated with him in achieving his glory. And the added joy of realizing that our fruit bearing demonstrates that we are genuine disciples of Christ. Isn't that awesome? A lot of this message is, I'd say the majority of this message is written for uh, believers. And if you're here and you're a believer and you realize, man, the Lord's doing a pruning in my life and it's hard and it's painful, but I, I, I would like the support of prayer. There's going to be pastors up front available for prayer and the worship team can come up. There's going to be pastors up front available for prayer. If you realize that I'm really not bearing forth any fruit for the kingdom of God, then maybe you want to come up and ask for prayer for that. And say, I don't know what's going on, but where's the fruit? You know? But if you're here and all this is so foreign, because life is withered, there's, there's no life in you, there's no relationship with Jesus in you, then there's no reason for you to leave the same way that you came. Jesus said, and I, and I shared with this, this with the men yesterday, I heard it recently and it impacted my heart, so I'm sharing it twice. Men get to hear it twice. But Jesus said that these branches that are removed from the vine, there's nothing left for them but for them to be gathered and to be thrown into the fire. And I, I heard this recently and it kind of settled in my heart. But how long do you think it's going to be? In, in hell, before a person comes to the point where they are willing to give up everything that they have just to get out of it? Would it be 30 seconds of that pain, of that loss and that agony? Would it be a minute coming to the end of your first week? coming to the end of the first year and to realize that you have it for the rest of eternity. If you don't know that your eternity is secure, you ought to make your eternity secure before you leave. 
because there's no reason for anyone to end up in hell. No one ends up in hell outside of their own choice. You have the opportunity to escape it. You have the opportunity to settle your eternity before you walk out of those doors. And if you haven't settled your eternity, then you will have to answer for having not done so, and you will have to answer for the opportunity that you had to do so tonight. Is it so unreasonable for the Lord to give you the opportunity for the Lord to say there's a way of escape? You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You have this moment. I gave you a moment. And for him to expect you to do something with it. And if you make a choice, he'll honor that choice. So if you're here and you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior and your eternity is not settled, don't risk what that means. You see horror and pain portrayed in movies all the time. That is a fraction of what hell will be like. The worst, scariest, nastiest thing in movies is a fraction of what hell will be like. It was not made for us. It was made for Satan and his angels. But if in your time here on this earth, you didn't want to submit to the Lord, you didn't want to have a relationship with him, you didn't want to, you didn't want to follow him, you didn't want to walk in obedience to him, you didn't want to bow the knee before him and worship him and praise him, and you didn't want to serve him, you didn't want to enjoy the blessings and privileges of what it means to be a believer, he's not going to force you. The worst thing about hell is not that pain or that agony, but it's the distance from Jesus Christ. Because everybody's there is getting what they wanted, to be as far away from Jesus as possible, so that they could have their own way. So if you haven't made that commitment or that decision, I would encourage you to do so before you leave. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth, Lord. There's so much hope and comfort and peace and love, Lord, available to us. And we want to stay connected to you, Lord. We don't want to miss out on what you're making available to us through, in and through Jesus Christ. So please, Lord, help us, Lord, to take advantage of every opportunity, Lord, to grow in our relationship with you. Lord, if there's things that have been in the way, things that have been, we have allowed to kind of become overgrown or we've reached out further, Lord, than our fruitfulness, Lord, our potential. Lord, we want to surrender to you. Lord, and if, if we've never committed our lives to you, we want to do so this evening. Uh, Lord, so I pray anyone here struggling or wrestling, needing to really make a decision for Christ, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, bring them up out of that chair, Lord, that they would um, come up and pray with one of the pastors. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.